0: Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bienvenidos, bonjour, falcha and welcome back to The Motivated Classroom podcast. It's been a while since I've been with you. It's been a couple of weeks and the reason being is we have had... Some technical difficulties here. So I'm absolutely delighted to be back and able to record again. And a huge thank you to the people here at the wonderful International School of Lausanne who have helped me. In particular, thank you to Andrew. You know who you are, Andrew, for helping me so much with my technical inabilities in the studio. So I really appreciate that. That's the first big Gur Mila Mahagath because this podcast would not go out other than the help of the people around here. It is the motivated classroom podcast, though, and that means we must, of course, start with our little bit of Irish. And today that Irish word is going to be teresh. Now, Traish is two words and it means after. So, you know, for example, Bamiji leav, Teraish on skull. So we're going to read after school, Teraish. So there you go, everyone. Irish phrase for today. Now, in our last episode, we talked about Universal Design for Learning. And I linked that to today's episode on differentiation. Now, I've had a number of different people contact me and ask me, will I do an episode on differentiation? So I guess here it goes. And I just want to kind of give a little bit of context to this first. I certainly would never class myself an expert in differentiation. Well, in anything, really, I'm still learning all the time. So this is just My take on it, it's just the way I do things, the way I try and differentiate. I'm always trying to learn ways to do this. And I actually think it's really one of the most complex and difficult things that we have to do as teachers is supposedly to make the learning individual to each and every person in front of us when some of us are teaching 150, 200 different kids every day. So how on earth do we go about doing that without going completely crazy? So I think it's really, really important that we think not to be too hard on ourselves. Try your best and do your best with what's in front of you. But to remember that we're human beings and there's only so much you can do. So as I say, today is my take on this whole differentiation issue. And I do want to talk briefly about universal design for learning first. If you haven't listened to episode 89, please go back and listen to that because I think you'll find it really, really useful as a first step into this idea of differentiating the learning. So if you remember from last week, differentiation and universal design for learning are similar but different. Universal design for learning is about planning the learning to allow various access points to the material. So rather than it just being simply a lesson where we're going to read and then write a summary, having maybe a couple of different ways to access that learning for those who maybe don't particularly like reading every single day in every single class or that struggle with reading so we have a couple of different access points or exit points that they can show their learning in different ways so that's us planning in advance knowing that we've got very different learners unique learners in front of us and actually I posted something on Twitter about this this week and it got quite a bit of traction and that was that I, you know I'm currently teaching a variety of different stories as I do often with my many learners and right now I've got a few different stories going at the same Time and one of them is in my year nine class, who are students in their second year of learning Spanish, aged about 12 13. And the first day I taught some of this story, it was an absolute chaotic disaster. I felt awful afterwards. I felt like stressed. My heart rate was up. I just thought, whoa, that was awful. Couldn't control the class, what was going on. They weren't listening to anything I was saying. The routines didn't matter what I tried. I had to really try and be strict with them. It just wasn't happening in the way I liked it to happen. And the very next day with the very same students and me, the exact same teacher in the same classroom, in the same school, in the same context, it was amazing absolutely brilliant class. So fun, so engaged, listening to everything, really hilarious moments. We were all laughing and learning and it was just one of the best classes I've ever had. And that was the exact same group of students, exact same teacher, exact same school, exact same context. But what was different was the time of day and whatever had just happened previously. So It's really important to remember that when we are involved in thinking about our differentiating and making sure that our class is open to all of our learners in the best way possible, sometimes there are things that are just a bit out of your control and you don't really know why or what's going on. But every single day is different. Every child is unique. So tomorrow will be different. And of course, that is why this is the best job in the world, right? Everything is different every day. We never have the same day, no matter how similar the content is we're going to have different students in front of us with different feelings different things going on and it makes the job so exciting and unique and brilliant but of course we don't want those days that are chaotic and you feel stressed to be in the majority. They should just be now and again the off chance every now and again you have one of those days. That's fine. But of course if you're having those days every day or if it's constantly like that in this class it's always chaotic they're never engaged then then there's something more deeply rooted that we need to change. You know then we need to think about our practice. Are we providing autonomy competence relatedness to motivate these kids? Are we giving them many different opportunities to engage with the learning in different ways? So you know, make sure that those happy, good days are in the majority. That's what we're aiming for. If something is not going well, just take a breather, brush it off and go, Okay, I'm going to try again tomorrow and I'm sure tomorrow will be better. So it happens, happens to everybody, you know, and I've done my doctorate in teaching with storytelling and I've done my doctorate in motivation. And yet the storytelling was a disaster and the motivation was not going very well either. I just had to scratch it off and go, that was 40 minutes that I won't get back, that I'm not sure we'd really gained anything other than me trying to control the class for 40 minutes. Whatever had happened before they arrived in last period that day, there was something that happened that made them all just a little bit off the wall. So that was a good example for me to start with, I think, of just to always don't be hard on yourself, be good to yourself. So I guess we should start by thinking about what is differentiation? What are we talking about there? So actually, Darren Leslie, who was on this podcast before from the great Becoming Educated podcast, he put this out on Twitter actually and asked, you know, what did people think it was? And lots of people came back with different answers and different things. And essentially, to me anyway, my take on it is it boils down to adapting learning to the learners that we have in front of us on that day in that context. And what I mean by that day in that context is that example I just gave you. I could adapt the learning to that same group of kids one day, but it'll look very different the next day because it's last period and they're all fired up after something, a P PE or something happened that fired them up. So I had to adapt my lesson and adapt my outcomes and adapt everything at that moment. Now, we have to try and adapt the learning we can to best support our learners to maximise their learning, too. I think that's an important point of differentiation. The important thing for me is that everyone has access to the learning. So that's starting with our universal design for learning. But of course, there's going to be situations when in front of me, I've got some students who are struggling with their understanding. Maybe they have come from a different system, a different way of learning. Maybe they've been brought up in a certain way that says that writing is more important than listening, for example, so they don't think listening is that important. So I've got to adapt for them. I have other students who are cognitively very, very sharp and who are picking up things super quickly. And I've got to make sure I'm challenging them and extending them as best I can, whilst also supporting those learners who are struggling with the basic understanding and making sure it is fully comprehensible for them. That is differentiating our learning, having different tools at our disposal that we can use in order to keep the challenge optimal for everybody. And that is really tough. So as I say, this is just my take on it, okay? And yes, I've got many years of experience in the classroom with different learners, different contexts, but that doesn't necessarily mean I've got any more expertise than you in this area, that's for sure. And I've always had different levels in front of me. That's that's part of being a language teacher. No class is going to progress at exactly the same point and everyone acquires the same language and the same words every single day. We just know language acquisition does not work like that. It's complex, it's messy. People pick up different things at different times. So how do we ensure everyone is still challenged? So I guess one of the first things to say is a few people have got in touch with me and asked me that question and said, I have heritage speakers or close to fluent native speakers in my room and I've also got students who are in their first year of learning Spanish. Well to me that is not even differentiating that is just having to plan two entirely different lessons. So yes there are some things that you will be able to use with those beginners in there that your advanced learners may get the odd little bit from but of course if you're speaking in a tone and giving comprehensible inputs to beginners, kids who have no previous experience, no schema built up over time, they haven't built that system yet, then you've obviously got to make it very simple, go very slowly with lots of translation, lots of gestures, making sure it's comprehensible and your advanced speakers will, of course, not be very challenged in that situation. So what you need to do there is think about how am I providing these completely two set different sets of learners with compelling, comprehensible input? Because that is how we are going to acquire more language. Your advanced group will have to get their inputs in a different way. So they will have to get them from video, from song, from reading, from books, probably not from you because you will be busy providing inputs to those beginners. And that's just a reality if you've got that much of a difference. You essentially need two different things going on. Okay, you could both be looking at, you know, foods and restaurants and eating out. And with the beginners, you could be doing a story about going to the restaurant and the different things that happened. While those advanced students could be watching videos about eating customs in different cultures, how it compares between your local custom, wherever that country that you are currently in, if you're, say, a school based in Iran, what would the eating customs and traditions look like in comparison to some Hispanic countries like Colombia, Venezuela and Spain, let's say. What is different? They might have to look up some YouTube videos, some articles, go through them, pick out things, keep it compelling. Maybe they'll have to talk to their parents about it, what it's like in their context, and then try and come up with different ways to explain that in Spanish if they're advanced learners. But essentially, you need two different things going on there. So don't be too hard on yourself. Now that is if you've got two completely different levels, you essentially just need to provide different inputs. Now you then go and you work with the advanced students for 15 minutes and you look at what they've provided, what sources do they find, we discuss them a little bit, what new phrases and words did you pick out, how can we compare to our own culture with this, great. And then while they're doing that, of course, your beginners are getting inputs in a different way. Maybe they're listening to something you pre-recorded. Maybe it's a little story or a screencast or a video, or maybe they're reading their own little novels that they've picked out, or it's a reading from the previous year, but they will be doing something different. Now, that's when the levels are very, very separate. And it's like, you know, a level one and a level five, let's say, in the same room. But what about if we've got a level two and three in the same room, or we've got students who are kind of low in novice and some others who are kind of intermediate. So there's not an enormous gap there, but there's definitely a gap. Well, as I spoke about in previous episodes, the good thing is the research would show us that those advanced students in that room are not being disadvantaged in any way and are not going to do any worse off by being in a mixed ability class with other students who don't have as high a level as them. It will greatly benefit those with the lower ability or those who don't have that level yet, whilst not disadvantaging the others. So you you can rest easy with that. Now, of course, they still need to be challenged and you still need to make sure the materials challenge them. So let's first of all talk about a few ways not to do differentiation. So the first is accept. Now, again, we're talking about two levels that are relatively close. They're still different, but they're not like level one and five. Okay, just to be clear on that, they do need different tasks because they're completely separate in what their schema and their previous experience has done for them. When they're kind of similar, we don't, or if it's in the, even if you have all your kids are, say, level two and you have some students who are doing fantastically, they're getting 95, 100% in lots of the things you do and other students are maybe not doing so well, they're getting 40, 50%, they're still struggling with some of the basic understanding. That type of differentiation. Don't differentiate by task. So we don't want to have an easy task and then the same task just made much more difficult for those who you think are cognitively able to handle that. There's quite a lot of research around this, particularly from the Education Endowment Foundation. I've done a lot of research into this, looking at the fact that differentiating by task is disadvantageous to those with the lower cognitive ability at that time. So they're not being challenged. Essentially, you're dumbing down content for them when really they're able for the better content, they just can't access it because of, let's say, language difficulty or this often happens with students who are in an EAL program. So English and a traditional language, they have come to a school where the whole language is English, but they have come from, you know, a different system from Turkey or China or Iraq and their English level is maybe not there yet to fully be able to express themselves the way they would like to. They're, you know, a low intermediate, let's say. And teachers of mathematics and geography and science and all different things essentially just make the questions really easy for them, like true or false and things. And really what the research would show us is this is not good. They want to be challenged. They're really good at this stuff, but just in a completely different language. So in our classrooms, in our language classrooms, we have to try and make sure that we don't differentiate by task. Instead you want to give them different access and more tools so that they can access that more difficult task. So we keep the task challenging, but we give our learners more tools to be able to use that task in the best way possible. That's how we differentiate. So whether those tools are providing more time, Uh, 25% extra time on a test for example providing access to a computer if their handwriting is really really difficult or they struggle with that writing things by hand and they find it easier computer give them a computer put a spell check on that's fine let them have that you know we can get to the precise accuracies of the language later so there's lots of different tools we can give them or translators or we can give them the starter sentences so they can actually access the material that's differentiating keeping the task challenging but giving them the tools to be able to succeed. Now, for those of you who work in classrooms where you're preparing students for, let's say state examinations or, you know, national standardized tests, and you will know that sometimes what happens in these tests is that students who are let's say in higher level and standard level, they are sometimes given the exact same text, so the same reading, same challenges there, but the questions are different or are more challenging depending on if it's a higher level or standard level. So is that differentiating by task? Well, it is a little bit, kind of, but these are older students who are doing a big state exam who have many, many years behind them of of doing the uh, language already. And you have, let's say, a higher level and a standard level. And so while this is differentiating by task at a certain level, the standard level are still being really challenged by this difficult text that they have to go through, but the questions are more appropriate for their level. So it might be, you know, factual questions based on what happened in this place, whereas the higher level questions may be much more nuanced with the language. Find three synonyms for the word go in the first paragraph. So you can also differentiate in that way. It's kind of differentiating by task, but not at the same level of giving one set of students a really difficult reading and the other one like a really, really dumbed down version. We have to be kind of careful of that, try and give them the same thing. And yeah, you may need to go through it and explain different things, but they may have different questions and that might be how you can differentiate at that level. So I guess while I'm not a massive fan of that because the research would show us that it's not really the best way to go about it, I guess in these standardised big tests, they do have to have a way of separating the higher and standard levels. So that makes sense to have different questions. When it's at the classroom level, the formative tasks, the everyday tasks that you're doing, it's much better to try and give those students who need the tools, the tools that they need. So give them what they need to access the learning, whether that is access to Google Translate, whether that is starter sentences, whether that's extra time, whether that's working with a partner who can help them to translate into their own language. These are tools that you are differentiating for them to help them access the learning now. I have heard some teachers say things like, but if I give them the tools like the starter sentences or access to you know, a translator for certain words, like that's not really fair on everyone else. Like, you know, that that's not fair on the strong students. The strong students are those with high cognitive ability. They're still going to do really, really well. You're just helping the other student to access that learning at their level, giving them more time, giving them more tools to be able to feel success. And even what we do here is sometimes we exempt them from certain strands of, of accuracy and precision in their writing, for example. They're exempt from the, the spelling and the accuracy. It doesn't count. Because we want them to have access to the material. We want them to be able to learn like everybody else. So, you know, it's not about comparing one student to another. It's giving them all access and being able to all succeed at a level that is right for them and appropriate for them at that time. And just one other point on this really is just to be careful of the language that you use. So please try not to use words like weak student or slow, even worse, or, you know, anything like that, just low ability, you have to remember that there's all sorts of things going on. Somebody could be extremely highly cognitive ability in something like mathematics or physics or science, but because of the language that they've grown up with, or maybe they grew up speaking three or four different languages, so they're trilingual, but they haven't got one core really strong language, well, then they're finding it more difficult to be able to translate back into English in your class, let's say, because they're having to bounce it off two or three different other languages. So... Just be really careful of the language we use. Try not to ever label students, please don't do that. But to try and support them and just give them the tools that they need in order to be successful. Like even from my own experience, you know, I grew up in a supportive family. I went to a fairly good school. I have loads of privilege behind me. I'm so thankful and so lucky and fortunate to have had that. Yet there were classes that I needed extra tools to be able to access and cognitively engage. And examples like physics, mathematics. I struggled with these concepts. I found it difficult when I was studying them and I needed help. I needed more tools. I needed the definition of that, whatever it was, the theorem in mathematics or if it was to do with some of the stuff in physics around electricity and all the different labels in the diagram. I needed that. I needed those tools so that I could access that. Yet I, was, I wanted to be cognitively challenged. I didn't want some dumbed down question. I just needed some more tools that maybe another person who was really fantastic at physics didn't need. So that was the student or the teacher, I should say, differentiating by making sure I had a vocab list of the words that explained to me the different things and that the diagrams were labeled so I could see what was going on, for example. Now, when you have those groups when the gap is relatively small, so there, there's not an enormous gap between them. I spoke about this in previous podcast try and sit them together with people who are not massively far away from each other. So sometimes we make the error of putting the best student in the class beside the student who is really, really struggling. And that's frustrating for both of them. The student who's really struggling, you think in your head you're doing the right thing. Oh, this student's really advanced. They're going to be able to kind of teach this other student and bring them along essentially that really, really great student is not getting any challenge anymore. And, and they're having to just kind of coach and help this other student with very basic concepts while you just get on with your teaching. Really, it's much better to put the really, really top students with someone who's around, you know, position three, four five in your class. So someone who's not the ultra top student, but who's still in your top 10%, like really gets the concepts quickly, but maybe lacks a little bit of the accuracy or precision and understanding of that other student. They'll challenge each other. They will learn from each other and they will push each other in the correct way. And we have that, as we've spoken about before, the Kohler effect, where that person who's just that little bit ahead of you drags you up and makes you work and push even harder to achieve your goals. And the same with those towards the bottom of the class. If you have a couple of students who are really struggling with the content, the basic concepts, then you would group them together so that they can learn from each other. And and that student who is now helping another student or is saying, yeah, you know, this means this and we're supposed to put this arrow over here and fill in this gap. They feel, oh, wow, I can do this. I've, I've got some good here. And the other student feels this is really helpful. He's breaking it down in a way to me that I can really understand, relate to, and we're working together, we're moving forward. And yeah, not always the same one. Of course, you rotate them. So you may have in your head groups of five or six students who typically will work together and they may be fluid and move around in those groups. But that's the way we want to work with groupings to have it have the maximum impact for their acquisition. Now, people do often ask me, so how do I differentiate? How do I differentiate for the learners in front of me? What do I do? And the number one way I would say, and again, this is just my take on it, is through questioning. The questions I use in my class, I think I read in Doug Lamov's book, Teach Like a Champion, that on average, a teacher is is asking something crazy like 650 questions a day, or it could have even been higher than that, because you're constantly asking questions. So how we use our questions is vital. So in my class, I've got those really great learners who are really pushing on they're getting stuff really quickly in the story or the special person interview or the reading that we've just done and I have other learners who they're still struggling with some of those basic words they still need more repetitions and they're, they're getting it but they, they need more repetitions so my question to that advanced group or the ones who are really getting it quickly is going to be much more challenging than it is to the students who are doing the same text the same story the same inputs but they'll have different questions so my Students who are struggling a bit, they might get a, an either or question or a question that is quite easy to answer, answer, you know, does the boy like to eat hamburgers or does he like to eat elephants? And then, of course, they'll know from that context, my voice, the correct answer here is hamburgers, because I use the word eat. Yet over to my other students, exact same content. Then I might turn to them and go, yeah, so he likes to, to eat hamburgers, guys. But why is that? Like, what did he used to eat that he's, he's not a big fan of anymore? Now, it's okay that the other students may not understand every single word of that question. When the student feeds back to me, they say, oh, well, he used to eat lots of ice cream because he didn't like hamburgers, but now he eats burgers much more. And that's from the student. Then I will now replay that to my beginners in a way that I'm going, yeah, that's right. He now he eats lots of hamburgers, but in the past he used to eat ice cream you're right guys yeah thank you for that so through my questioning i am challenging pushing those learners whereas i'm breaking it down in easier either or yes no questions for those other learners so the first thing to think about is the way you use your questions and a really good tip for this is just script some of your questions not every question but script five easy five challenging ones and just have them there in front of you when your class comes in and then you will remind you to ask different types of questions to different learners and not to and to always make sure that those students who are really getting everything really quickly, you, you push them and extend them with more open ended, higher order questions. And you're helping the others with understanding questions until they get to that point and they will get there. Let's not forget they will get there. It's just that they need more tools to help them get there. Now, another way you can differentiate really effectively, but still maintain a comprehensible input approach in that you are trying to give lots of compelling, interesting inputs is when they're reading. So even if the text you're reading is potentially not that challenging to some of your more able learners and the ones who have more experience with language, they may not be that challenged by understanding it. They're getting everything. But would they be able to explain to you the difference of you know, for example, hablaba and habló like he used to speak and he spoke imperfect and pretérito indefinido. If they can't, then point that out to them and say, oh, so what's the difference here? And then they might not be able to. And then you may say, well, this one is a repeated action. This one was one action. And why is that? What are some other examples of that? And then you're now going over to the other group and asking them more basic questions. So what I'm trying to get at here is you can have the same text, but very different questions. So you can provide different questions, much more challenging questions when you provide a text or a reading using the same text and that suddenly becomes much more challenging. Now, the other great way to differentiate, of course, is by using different tools and accommodations that we have in many schools to help our students who need those extra supports. So these are in place already, but it's really important not to forget these, even when you're doing like what we would call a formative task, just like a little writing task in class, or there's some reading task going on, And you want them to do something and you think, well, they have a test based accommodation of an extra 25% time, but give those for the formative tasks too. have something set up for the other learners, whether it's looking at a song or doing another reading or some more way to get inputs through Duolingo, for example, while those other students are using that extra 25% and having that extra time. And it makes a big difference. The extra time is a really important way to differentiate the learning. So things like Allowing students to use a computer rather than writing by hand. So this is particularly useful for those students with diagnosed learning difficulties such as dyslexia or students who are maybe really struggle with their handwriting and it takes them a long time. Whereas they can do it much more quickly when they're allowed to type. And there we are providing a tool to them that allows them to show their learning in a way that works for them without hindering their level of inputs that we're giving them. Then, of course, allowing spell check to be on for some of those students, providing starter sentences for them. So, today, just today, I had this. I had my students write out the story that we've done together in class. Now, for some of those students, they just was pen and paper, write the story. And you've got five, 10 minutes to write as much as you can. For the other ones, some of them were using computer, some had their spell check turned on, some of them had an extra. 10 minutes at the end, an extra five, 10 minutes while everyone else was doing some Duolingo. And some of them, I gave some starter sentences, key structures to help them with writing their story, like goes to, forgot, went, uh, was scared. And I gave them those with the translation so that they could now have a much better go at writing that story. This is differentiating the learning, really helping them to still really be challenged, but to engage with the piece just like everyone else. Another one that's really, really good for those learners is a list of key terms and definitions. So a list of the question words that you give them when you give out a test or an exam, a list of classroom items that you use often with translations or pictures and letting them use their own language to respond to questions. Now, I say their own language, and that's fine if you don't understand it, if they're writing in Polish. Of course, if it's a test, you're going to need to understand. But in a homework task or in something that you're just asking them to read and think about or read and reflect, it's okay if you don't understand it completely and they wrote something in Polish, they're interacting with it, they're translanguaging, they're building the system. And we know that the more contact they have with their home language and support of their home language, the better they will acquire the language you are teaching. We know this from the research. So there you go. I hope that was useful. Just a bit of a chat about differentiation, how I go about it in my classroom. And as I say, it's just my take. I'm sure there's many different and better ways to do it. Please do share and let us know how you go about it in your class. Thank you so much, especially to all you patrons for continuing to support the podcast. I love you guys. Thank you for keeping me full of coffee <laughs> and crisps, of course. Garamila Mahag, Maggie the motivated classroom podcast is an original production by liam printer i'm at liam printer on twitter and my youtube channel is liam printer the motivated classroom full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website liamprinter.com for more find and follow the motivated classroom podcast on twitter facebook and instagram graphics and music are provided by paul mahan intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the international school of lausanne